0: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Hello and welcome to NL Hafta. Angre's Apna lagan or News Laundry Apna Hafta kabhi nahi bholte hain. Unfortunately, uh, Abhinandan is a little busy today so uh, he won't be able to join us for this Hafta but I'm here and wish really Uh, a very very happy Women's Day so we have um, uh, first up to all our subscribers we have a special subscription offer for all our women uh, subscribers or potential subscribers we're going to be uh, the details of which you can check on our homepage but essentially we're going to be offering a 40% discount on all news laundry subscriptions for all the women and if you're a female and you get three of your female friends to subscribe you also can get a lovely NL t-shirt from us so do check that out uh, on our homepage and also so um, our holy offer ends this Saturday. So those of you who wanted to avail of our holy offer, please, please log on to our website and do subscribe. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, and we have with us uh, Garima Chitkara. Hi. Garima is an independent journalist. She's a producer based in New Delhi and she writes extensively on Asian capital markets and banking. And we hope we're going to talk about a little. Uh, though uh, it's... Almost now, n- not being discussed so much, but we hope to talk a little about, about the PNB scam with Garima since she reports on the banking sector. We have with us Raman, sir. Hello. And we have with us TS Sudhir, who's going to be joining us to uh, talk to us about uh, the sensational new development of TDP leaving uh, the alliance with BJP. So Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Sudhir. Great to have you. And um, so apart from that, I'll just read out a bunch of things that's going to be on our, uh, that we're going to be talking about. Of course, the week was dominated by elections in Meghalaya, Nagaland and Tripura. Uh, there was a lot of talk of BJP uh, taking over in the northeast, the Lotus or the Saffron Wave uh, taking over northeast. East. Uh, we had the results of Meghalaya, Nagaland and Tripura uh, being announced. This was the first... Uh, I think instance of a direct left versus right fight in Tripura I think CPIM was in governance, BJP came and won 35 seats and is effectively forming the government Uh, curious uh, fallout of the election results was even felt in Tamil Nadu (laughs) So there was this statue of Lenin that was desecrated in Tripura, after which there have been multiple acts of vandalism. You've had a statue in Calcutta of Shama Prasad Mukherjee that was vandalized, then Ambedkar statue in Meerut, and then Periyar statue in Tamil Nadu. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about the PNB scam, and of course Karthi Dhamram. Sri Sri Ravi Shankar had an interesting, he has uh, offered an interesting out-of-court settlement for for the Ayodhya uh, log jam, which we'll discuss. And uh, it happens to be Women's Day and great news coming in from the courts. Uh, Hadia's uh, marriage has been upheld by the Supreme Court. So that's great news. That's, she gets to be with who she wanted to be with. And we can discuss that case also a little bit. So um, let's start with Sudhir. Uh, tell us a little about uh, this whole intrigue. What, what does this, how did this really happen? Because it's it was brewing for a while and the union budget seemed to be have you know it seemed to have been the last sort of uh, thing that broke the uh, the alliance but tell us a little about how this happened and what this means for 2019 or for
1: bjp well yes it has been brewing for a while in fact though uh, the union budget that really had nothing much for andhra pradesh was seen as the last straw even uh, towards the end of the last quarter of calendar year 2017 there were murmurs within the Telugu Desam whether it really makes sense for them to continue with the BJP, given that despite being an ally of the BJP both in Delhi as well as in Andhra, there are two uh, BJP ministers in Andhra. I mean Naidu's cabinet. Uh, they weren't really getting much. They uh, they really didn't gain much from the alliance, as it were because the whatever the provisions, the promises which are made under the AP Reorganisation Act of 2014, uh, many of them weren't fulfilled. The fund flow was not satisfactory. Uh, there was a lot of to and fro about how much should be due. Just to give a small example, for instance, at the time of bifurcation, the then-governor, who is also still the same governor, esl Nassimman, they had calculated, and it was also upheld by CAG, that it's a revenue deficit of 16,000-odd crore rupees for the residual state of Andhra Pradesh. But when the India government came to power, they contested that and they reduced it to 4,100 crore rupees, one-fourth of that. And then there was a lot of back and forth as to what should be the right sum. Uh, In between, they agreed on a sum of 7,500, but finally they gave only 4,000 crore rupees. So those are some of the uh, complaints that the TDP has, saying that we haven't really benefited by being part of the ruling alliance. Hmm. Also, there is a feeling within the TDP that the BJP is... uh, political powers may be on the wane, which is why they have taken a political decision because they want to go to the people of Andhra Pradesh and say, we would have fulfilled all our promises, but for the fact that the BJP did not help us.
0: That's interesting. They actually believe that BJP's power is waning. I mean, considering they've just won a lot of elections. I mean, I know it's at the Northeast, but still... Well,
1: it was around Gujarat that this started and the fact that Gujarat was a close race led them to believe that you know, not everything is working in the BJP's favor. Then there were those bifold results coming from Rajasthan. Uh, then of course the union budget kind of changed everything. So. Th- which is why from uh, December and January onwards, there have been these murmurs which are going a little, which are going a little public from the TDP side, because that's usually Naidoo's style. He'll kind of let it simmer for a while, make it, let his people talk about, I mean, have a voice of discontent coming from his people. Then he himself spoke, uh, saying that, you know, if people are not happy, we'll walk out of the alliance. The BJP was also doing its bit of politics because the state BJP leaders were encouraged to uh, criticize Naidu's governance and stuff like that. Oh. So there was a lot of tooth war of words which was taking place. It was kind of brewing for the last couple of months.
0: Hmm. And there's also like some reports I was reading where uh, Naidu has said that they were cold-shouldered and they really tried to reach out but like no one from the center was... Uh, See, he, makes,
1: mm-hmm. he makes a lot of about the fact that he went to Delhi 29 times to uh, huh. Talk about Andhra's cause. The critical part is that for the whole of calendar year 2017, he did not get an appointment. Hmm. That was seen as strange that he did not meet Modi, despite being one of the senior most allies of the BJP in the ruling uh, dispensation. Hmm. But at the same time, someone like Jagan already got an appointment in May uh, last year, hmm. wherein he actually leveled charges of corruption against Naidu. That did not go down well with uh, the TDP at all because they saw it as some kind of a design by the BJP to work out some kind of a relationship with the YSR Congress. So a lot of things taking place, a lot of real politics, a lot, lot of things to do with the funds flow, a huge amount of trust deficit, all leading to this divorce hmm. uh, taking place last night.
2: Can we say that the TDP is going uh, Congress way or, or they're find, trying to find some other allies?
1: No, the TDP would want the BJP to go the Congress way because the Congress, if you remember, after the bifurcation it did for the people I mean, of Andhra Pradesh, with which the people of Coastal and Alcema were extremely unhappy, they reduced Congress to a zero. There is not a single MP, Lok Sabha MP, not a single MLA uh, of the Congress in Andhra Pradesh today. The party is virtually over uh, as far as Andhra Pradesh is concerned. The, the slogan that they are now going to tell, the, take to the people of Andhra Pradesh is the, what the Congress did in 2014, the BJP has done in the last four years, not help the cause of Andhra Pradesh at all. The, the mm-hmm. point is that Naidu will be able to convince the people of Andhra Pradesh uh, that only the BJP is a villain of the peace and not the TDP, because people will turn around and ask, you were in uh, power uh, with them for the last four years, you were enjoying power in Delhi, with the bjp why did it take so long for you to realize that the bjp was not he- being helpful enough mm. so that is something that the tdp will have to convince but on the ground there is a lot of negative sentiment for the bjp so the bjp is not going to be uh, politically a very positive force at this point in time in andhra pradesh
0: why is that so i mean what is this negative sentiment on ground among people what because are the reasons for- has
1: managed to actually successfully convey this among the people that, but for the BJP. If the BJP had actually fulfilled most of the promises that were made in the AP reorganization Act, we would have actually, uh, I mean, Andhra Pradesh would have been a much better state. If all the funds flow had been made uh, come to the Andhra Pradesh at the right time, if the different projects, the educational institutions, the various infrastructure projects, which are all been promised under the reorganization Act, if they all had been uh, started. I mean, Andhra Pradesh would be good because what main problem that Andhra is facing, of course it's also to do with Naidu's own grandiose plans of having this um, larger-than-life, fancy capital called Amravati, which will need an investment of uh, 50,000-odd crore rupees. That hasn't happened because in the main capital area, it's still at the design stage, even the tenders have not been floated. The few constructions which have come are the temporary secretariat and the temporary assembly, a couple of educational institutions, and a few roads. That's all that Naidu has to show. So the corporates are also a little way of investing in Amravati. People like Reliance are investing in other areas of Andhra Pradesh, but Amravati whether it will really take off and the big doubt is what happens if Naidu doesn't come back. Corporates, the industry are very wary of that. So everybody yeah. is kind of waiting and watching if Naidu comes back, we will invest in Amravati. If um, because they don't know what. If someone else comes like Dagan ready, but they will continue with the same plans as mm. far as Amravati
0: is concerned. So, uh, does this mean in 2019 or general elections, there could be like Naidu could be uh, interested uh, to join hands with the third front? Like Mamta has already made some overtures to KCR you see like Naidu also?
1: A couple of things here. All these people, whether it is K. Chandrasekhar Rao or Chandrababu Naidu, they are all looking at a 1996 or rather hoping for a 1996 kind of a situation. 1996 oh. was when he was convener of the United Front, when he could have actually even become the Prime Minister instead of Deviagoda or IK Gujral. He did not at that stage. But they are hoping that it will be a situation where the BJP can be pegged to just about 200 seats. The Congress is less than 100 seats, with, I think, which will lead a good 225 to 250 odd seats for these regional parties. And that can be cobbled together. Of course, it will be a messy coalition as yeah. the past has shown. <laughs> uh, but that is something which many of these people are hoping for. Will Naidu be part of a third front? Definitely not under KCR's leadership because KCR was his transport minister when he was chief minister in the 1990s in Andhra. (laughs) So it will not be under KCR's leadership for sure, but Naidu will want to kind of make his own moves as far as some kind of a federal front, a non-Congress, non-BJP kind of a coalition is concerned. Also, he would want to move to the center, making his son, Naha Lokesh, the chief minister of Andhra Pradesh, for which of course he has to win a second term in 2019. So once he gets his son um, uh, uh, appointed as the chief minister of Andhra Pradesh, Naidu would certainly look, at least his TDP, the senior leaders in the TDP tell me, that he would definitely would want to kind of move to the center and play a much bigger role. Uh, But what kind of an arrangement it will be, uh, where he can play a role at the center, that is going to. So plan A would be a BJP, which does not get 200 seats, will have to depend on allies like TDP, Hmm. which hopefully would get um, a good number of seats, at least they would hope so. And then they bargain for their pound of flesh and funds. That's plan A. Plan B is a united front kind of a scenario where regional parties come together, outside support from either Congress or BJP. And in
0: 1996, kind of a situation. Wow, that will be a third front with lots of PM contenders. <laughs> this uh,
2: yeah. Jagannath Reddy. There were several corruption cases against him. So, right. uh, so what is the situation like? I mean, I think uh, is there any progress in those cases, or they are in the. Oh in a kind of uh, cold storage?
1: They're all in the trial stage. For instance, he's on a Padhyatra now. So every week, uh, mm-hmm. I think once he was not given exemption from personal uh, appearance. Mm-hmm. So he has to go to court and appear in court. So that legal process is going on that will take its own street time. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, uh, the, the, the talk was that he would try to have some kind of an arrangement with the DJP mm-hmm. to probably get out of the cases whether that happens or not doesn't happen, we don't know. Uh, But again, now what Naidu with the manner in which he has cornered the BJP, at least in Andhra, Mm. the rest of uh, the country may not share Andhra's perception, but within Andhra, he has kind of made the BJP look bad. What that results is in that uh, even Jagamon Reddy cannot touch the BJP because if Jagamon Reddy does some business with the BJP now, Mm. he will be seen as someone who is trying to uh, do business with a party which has not been receptive to Andhra's cause. And he may be doing it for his own, uh, for the sake of his own uh, legal uh, battles. So, uh, Naidu, with his politics, has essentially uh, isolated the BJP, so that the fight is essentially between him and Jagannath Reddy. And Naidu, by projecting this image as a sole protector of Andhra's interests, will try to say that you know I am the person who even forsake power uh, from Delhi for the sake of Andhra's interests.
0: Hmm. Okay, great. So, um, moving on. Uh, there's been. Uh, I'll, I'll come to Garima since you haven't spoken. So, um, you followed the elections uh, that were uh, reported extensively last um, week, and a fallout of the election was that there was a statue of Lenin, which some people <laughs> on Twitter said Stalin. It was uh, bulldozed. So, what's your? Did you follow that bit of news? I mean, I saw that on. Are you television. a Lenin fan? <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: I'm not. Uh, I no. don't. I don't believe in the As followings a, of Karl Marx. No. In fact, today I saw you're not a commie.
0: Like no. the rest of us at Naxal Laundry are accused of. No, uh, <laughs> no. I'm not.
3: Um, but uh, no, uh, I, I did see that, and I think it's a. I think it's a ridiculous sort of. It's a ridiculous way to celebrate your election victory. Mm. And I think the 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 response, you know, to that in 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 Kolkata and then in Meerut and then in Chennai, I think it's. It's a pretty, I mean, it seems like such a, it seems like a waste of, a waste of time. It's it's a waste of the country's time. And and I I honestly, I mean, I don't have very strong opinions on on the right or the left ideology, but, Hmm. you know, desecrating a statue, no matter who he was. I mean, Lenin, first of all, did not have the kind of history where you can even justify, um, you know, taking down a statue is just an ideological disagreement. I mean, mm. it doesn't seem like a productive way to express mm. your disagreement with the ideology.
0: Yeah. Also, I mean, um, to me, it struck me that you've won. I mean, you've won the elections. Why do you want to now go? <laughs> like, you've you've done it. You've proved what you had to. So going around bulldozing the statue was... I think for, for them, it was... was a, yeah, and what yeah, was yeah. even more uh, bizarre was on Twitter, you had people from India Foundation who worked on Tripura elections like Rajat Sethi celebrating it. You had Hmm. Ram Madhav say, great. Nearly every... The Tripura governor who said that... He almost said it's, you know, it's power for the course. It had a cascading
2: effect hmm. after that. I mean, It it spread uh, all over the country.
0: Hmm.
2: West Bengal, the Shama Prasad Mukherjee. Yeah. His statue was... uh, And then, then Sudhir, you had
0: H. Raja say that uh, we'll do the same to Periya statues in Tamil Nadu. Uh, What was... What do you think, like such a statement is suicidal, right, for BJP to make?
1: See, H. Raja is a repeat offender. I mean, it's not the first time he has made this kind of a very divisive comment. Uh, in October last year, he took on the uh, Tamil film Mursal mm-hmm. uh, which star superstar Vijay because it had a small 10-second um, dialogue uh, which criticized GST. And the BJP in Tamil Nadu made a big issue of it. Actually helping the movie, uh, actually making it a bigger hit than it would have normally would. So uh, in that sense, he's known to make these kind of divisive comments. But uh, in this particular case, he seemed to have a bit more than he could chew. And uh, the reactions were very, very sharp. Because uh, Periyar... uh, I mean, even though he has made extremely controversial statements uh, uh, talking about uh, he who invented God is a fool, he who propagates God is a scoundrel, he who worships God is a barbarian. Uh, But... At the same time, he is considered one of the tallest rationalist social reformers who have come uh, from Tamil Nadu. So uh, given the fact that the entire Dravidian ideology flows from what Arya's thoughts were, um, the reaction from a DMK, from a WICO um, and the other smaller Tamil outfits were pretty much on predictable lines. So what it has done is to kind of push Tamil BJP furthermore into an isolated uh, space as far as Tamil Nadu is concerned. In fact, uh, Tamil Nadu is another state apart from where the BJP is seen as extremely unpopular, seen as a very Hindi and a Hindutva kind of a party. And so, uh, for uh, Raja to come out and make this kind of statement, it actually made it difficult for uh, the BJP. The the reaction was uh, on uh, brahmins because there were cases of uh, of the sacred thread of a few brahmins cut by oh, some yeah, uh, that men news on fire. Yes. So those kind of incidents were reported from Chennai. Hmm. So obviously, uh, e- even the brahmin community, whose cause Acharya may have wanted to espouse, were not happy with this kind of extremely divisive commentary hmm. that was coming from him and he made a fool of himself by saying that I was not uh, Mm -hmm. I did not post the Facebook post it was one of my admins who posted the Facebook post which led to jokes and memes on Twitter saying that H. Raja the Facebook owner sacks it's rather the Facebook admin, so <laughs> something like
0: that. Yeah, but uh, I was just wondering. I mean, apart from the political parties, of course, for DMK and AIDMK, DMK Periyar is. I mean, it's their god. But what is? How is his hold on the common people like? Is it is it really strong? Does an average uh, Tamilian feel strongly towards uh, Periyar? Does it have a lot of?
1: Uh, well, for one, we can't say that Peria is their God because Peria did not believe in God. Anyway, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but that apart, uh, difficult to quantify how the average, say a 20-year-old, a million, really, whether he believes or... Uh, uh, you know, adheres to the ideology of Periyar, difficult to quantify. Hmm. But I saw it in a different context as to what may have provoked H. Raja if he indeed posted the Facebook post himself. Uh, because the two parties that swear by Periyar's ideology are the DMK and the ADMK, yeah. apart from a host of smaller dravidian outfits. But uh, the late Jayalitha, for instance, instance uh, visited temples. She participated in religious prayers and offerings, even though this was completely against what Periyar propagated. Uh, in fact, those in the present day ADMK are known to be... Extremely religious and superstitious. In fact, even the family members of some DMK leaders are known to privately participate in religious rituals. So, would they accept Periyas' definition of being scoundrels and barbarians? Mm. Uh, so, uh, my sense is that BJP, since it has obviously no hope of getting any part of the hardcore Dravidian follower vote, this seems like perhaps a Raja's individual attempt to tap into the religiously inclined non-Brahmin Hindu, who is perhaps not wedded to the school of atheism which was propagated by Periyar. But the problem with the BJP as usual is its approach, you know, because the BJP as a party perhaps believes that vandalizing or defacing a statue is good enough to, you know, destroy or annihilate an idea that has held roots for decades, you know, so the manner in which a large part of it is political Tamil Nadu reacted. Uh, uh, Raja's uh, post uh, of seeing Periya statues being brought down would have given the BJP a harsh reality check, which is why perhaps they were quick to distance themselves from uh, what Raja
2: said. It was really nice to see that the Prime Minister he reacted very promptly in this on this issue. I yes. think he was he uh, unlike uh, you know uh, the other cases, let's say the mm. cow vigilantism. He never reacted so fast. Yeah. But in yes. this particular case he reacted so fast so it, it in a way it has contained the vandalism. I think we just had the But a even three- today there
1: have been instances, uh, there have been instance of an Ambedkar statue defaced in Chennai. There has okay. been an instance of a Mahatma Gandhi statue defaced in Kanur in North Kerala. So wow. I mean there are these individual incidents which are being reported.
0: It's uh, like competitive vandalism now. Everyone is yeah. like whoever's... <laughs> But interestingly, I was reading a little excerpt. I think someone on Twitter posted uh, Periyar's views on Gandhi's statues, uh, where he said that we should break... He was a big... Uh, he was a staunch critic of Gandhi, and he said... Well, he was quite at... an infant
1: terrible, actually. He's a... Einstein, Einstein. <laughs> he exactly
0: said that uh, we should break hmm. all Gandhi's statues. But yeah, anyway, Same. that was interesting to see.
1: But also, his idea of a nation was very opposite. I and mean, that's another reason why the BJP and uh, Periyarism, as I call it, I mean, cannot go together, because... Um, periahs idea of religion was very different from what it was of mahatma gandhi at that point of time because he believed that it's a society where caste and religious discrimination essentially thrives cannot be a progressive uh, nation and he believed that the nationalist nationalism uh, which the BJP talks about a lot now hmm. is only another name for political Brahminism where only the Brahmins and Brahmins the Ghaniyas, Ghaniyas actually control the levers of power in that sense and in fact he was among the first to actually float this whole idea of the Dravidanado which essentially means the south of India being a separate country
0: oh wow oh okay that yeah.
1: I didn't know so that's, I mean, that's why I say the BJP sense of mas- idea of nationalism hmm. is a completely 180 degree in anti this is to what Peria's sense of nationalism was. So it's really no surprise why H. Raja put out a post like that. In fact, it was not just H. Raja, there is another uh, the BJP a- activist, the uh, vice president of the Tamil Nadu youth Wing of the BJP. He also put out a similar post. And uh, in fact, he even bragged Saved this tweet for the future. But he ended up deactivating his account, Twitter account after
0: a whole lot of uproar. Wow. <laughs> Great. Uh, thanks so much Sudhir for uh, speaking Thank to you. us Thank. and enlightening thanks. us on this. Thank you. Thanks. Catch you later. Thanks. Great. That was TS Sudhir. Um, fascinating as always. Um, so I'm just going to read a quick letter and then we'll speak to Garima. Garima, we haven't spoken to you at all. We're going to speak on the PNB scam. I'll quickly read this letter out. Uh, Hello, News Laundry. I'm a subscriber and a big fan of Charcha and Hafta. I also enjoy reporters without orders I'm mailing you to congratulate you on your great work and to acknowledge your efforts for keeping news free thank you so much uh, my main motive behind this mail however is to show my love and respect to mr anandvardhan <laughs> anvardhan is not on this uh, hafta but we'll definitely um, pass on, on he's going to be there yeah. on charcha he's going to be there on charcha so we'll pass on your respect and love to anandvardhan Uh, He says, to me, one of the major contributors to the awesomeness of News Laundry, apart from its content, is the unique style, informed opinion and amazing one-liners of Mr. Vardhan. I love his articles as well. Anand sir, Charan Sparsh. (laughs) That's really sweet. Yeah, I think we should get him to finally do that book of one-liners. I'll definitely pass your regards and love to uh, Anand Satvik. Um, Okay, Uh, let's come to you, uh, Garima. PNB scam is now not being talked about much is Karti Chidanamran that's taken over. But what was just tell us a little bit just for our uh, listeners who may not be aware of what happened, just briefly what it was and uh, your view on how it was reported and uh, some key aspects of it that you wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, so the, the scam was basically when uh, you had several people associated with the Nira Modi and the Gitanjali Gems firms who... Um, got the Punjab national banks to the, the Punjab national Bank to issue them f- sort of fake guarantees which they could then use um, in foreign branches of other Indian banks to get loans loans um, and the fake guarantees basically means that you know the letters of undertaking that the PnB branch in Mumbai gave to these people were not really reconciled uh, did not have any collateral uh, posted against them and they were not reconciled basically with the books. Uh, of the PNB, so this was not really put in uh, the PNB's um, core banking system. Hmm. You know, one fine day, um, PNB woke up and they realized that they had um, they had basically committed funds uh, upwards of two billion dollars. Or actually, almost two billion dollars to you know foreign branches of Indian banks, hmm. and uh, I'm not really sure what how they're going to treat these guarantees now. I think they they will have to. The RBI has instructed them to make good on the guarantees that uh, they oh, really? still owe to to the foreign banks, so and they and have it, to pay back. Yeah, they will have to pay back. It will not be to the extent of two billion dollars because some of these some of these may have been paid back already by. Uh, Nirav Modi and by Gitanjali Gems. Mm. But where the outstanding letters of credit and letters of undertakings are um, do exist, the PNB will have to make them whole. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I know that the Karti Namburam case has sort of uh, taken over the news cycle, but um, uh, the enforcement directorate did uh, summon the chief executives of Access Bank and ICICI yeah. Bank to talk to them because they also have um, exposure to these two firms. If they've, they've um, extended loans to them, hmm. at the moment we don't know what the role of these banks were um, uh, or what the role of these banks was. But um, you know, this whole process is
0: Chanda Kocher and Access Bank's
3: Shikha Sharma was yes, someone. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, so either it's them or, or their representatives. We don't really know that much about hmm. what happened. I think there was there was someone on Tuesday. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I understand that, you know, the the criminal part of it is more interesting. But for me, uh, the more interesting part is what caused this, you know, really simple and very avoidable scam hmm. to take place. And, uh, you know, a, f- a few days after uh, the story broke, uh, Arun Jaitley Um, to some business summit and where he sort of said something to the effect of, you know, everybody blames the politicians, but nobody really blames the regulator.
0: Hmm.
3: And, you know, he said, he basically said that, you know, the regulator, because, you know, the regulator, the the the, Reserve
0: Bank of India, the
3: Reserve Bank of India, they set the rules of the games, it's the regulator's job to ensure that something like this doesn't happen, which I think is quite spot on.
2: But the RBI doesn't have the policing, uh, they have set up some rules and all banks need to follow those rules.
3: Yes, so the RBI actually... Yeah, so I'm I'm glad you brought that up. So the RBI actually has been vested with the powers of the state. So under the Banking Regulation Act of 1949, the RBI has um, legislative, executive and judicial powers. So the RBI cannot obviously um, uh, pursue criminal investigations, but they can fine, they can ban people from the banking industry. That's how they they can enforce the rules that they have written.
2: So for instance, in this particular case, Hmm. it had been happening since 2011. Right? yeah 2011 to 2017 yeah so in the six years mm. you mean the rbi the information was going to rbi that such a person nirav mm. uh, Modi, mm. he he had been you know taking money from the foreign branches mm. without any collateral
3: so apparently the bank itself didn't know this okay only after the guy the manager responsible retired um, and his successor basically realized, I mean, this, so apparently in the, one of the articles said that, you know, the guy from Nirav Modi basically just walked up and said, I want a letter of credit. And the successor said that, um, yeah, well, you know, you have to put up a margin. And this guy was like, well, we never had to do that before. And that's sort of what And opened- this guy was
0: there for seven years, right? The guy who yeah. was giving uh, them LOUs yeah. without any due diligence. Yeah. But I just want to ask, so following up from ravans Sir's uh, question... The RBI, even if they don't know that such a scam is happening, they would, would such anomalies be flagged that, okay, this guy has been around for seven years, whereas they should be rotating for every two to three years, I think you can't have a head stationed in the same branch for more than three years in high positions, I think. Yeah. So actually the RBI
3: knew that there was some misuse happening of the SWIFT system. So SWIFT is sort of a messaging system that banks uh, communicate through for uh, remitting funds internationally. Hmm. Um, and that's sort of the system that was being sort of used by uh, uh, Narendra Modi and the the deputy manager at, at PNB, and that was not being reconciled with the actual bank's core banking system. Mm. So the RBI knew, and they had actually warned the banks in two thousand sixteen, saying that we have seen that there have we have seen instances of misuse of the SWIFT. System, and in August 2016, according to the RBI's, you know, two-paragraph response to this two-billion-dollar scam, um, they said that we sent a we sent confidential confidential instructions to banks so that that they should uh, basically connect this SWIFT system with their CBS, their co banking system. And apparently, based on some other articles, they reminded the banks two times after this. So now, between August 2016 and February 2018 the banks basically disregarded the RBI's instructions, right. So uh, I think the question that needs to be asked is, why, I mean, what was the RBI doing in the past year and a half almost, that it gave these instructions to banks? First of all, why were these instructions confidential? And second of all, what did the RBI expect to accomplish by sending sort of informal communications to banks to make this happen? I mean, if, if, if banks would have just done this, you know this could have been detected detected sooner it could have been avoided it may have been avoided in other banks as well before this became this big
2: see if we need to understand step by step regulations mm-hmm. say i'm i'm a borrower i want to take 100 crore rupees mm-hmm. so can we can you tell us step by step regulations what and where it was uh, breached i mean in case of nirav uh, modi
3: so um, the way uh, so this is this is a department known as trade finance, where basically people who are importing and exporting things they have a sep- they have separate financing for um, they separate financing for paying for raw materials that they import, and then you know they would then uh, you know process them and then export it export it again. So this financing basically. Is for uh, people who are uh, who have income in different currencies and who are uh, doing imports and exports. So usually, if, for example, um, I am uh, importing uh, rough or rough diamonds from Hong Kong, for example, and then processing them in Surat, I will have to pay um, a bank in Hong Kong, uh, which will be associated with you know the the company that I'm buying the rough from. So a letter of guarantee. So If I want to uh, take, for example, a loan from a bank in Hong Kong, the Hong Kong bank is going to charge me more money because the Hong Kong bank doesn't know who I am because I'm an Indian-based entity. So I'm going to tell my bank in India to give a guarantee which basically says that the bank is guaranteeing my loan, that if I don't pay the loan, the bank will will guarantee it, and I can take the letter of credit or that letter of guarantee to a foreign bank, and based on that letter of guarantee, I will get a better rate of interest from the foreign bank. That's basically how it works. In this case, what had happened was that from the bank side, this letter of credit was given. Okay, but the letter of credit is basically the bank has to set aside that amount of money that it may have to pay the foreign bank this amount of money if, for example, Nirav Modi did not does mm. not pay them. Yeah. So what they have done, they did not set that money aside. In fact, so they kept guaranteeing, they I mean, kept guaranteeing so without the, accounting for without it, without really accounting for it, without really setting the money aside, without really accounting for the risk of giving this kind of guarantee to this person. So the, hmm. the bank is also going to charge money to Nirav Modi. He's, he's going to charge, they're going charge, to charge a rate of interest based on Nirav Modi's risk profile. Hmm. And they are going to give him a specific limit. Under which Narendra Modi, over which Nira Modi cannot then take letters of credit from PNB, so those were breached many times. Those limits were breached many times, and there was not enough. And Nira Modi was not really required to put collateral or margin, which was um, which was commensurate to the risk of mm. lending to him.
0: So, but so such a thing could not have happened without the top guys in the banks being involved or knowing. I mean, can such a thing just happen? And when whenever such a thing happens, you see that. It's just the mid-level employees hmm. that get sacked. You'd never have the top guys yeah. feeling the heat. Uh, you, you've talked about RBI, of course, but the bank itself can such a big thing, so many breaches at multiple levels for so many years, go on without the top guys not knowing.
2: Huh. Will the MD like, not know that? Can the uh, MD
0: not be there? You know, I I can't
3: speculate on what the MD knew. I mean, I'm sure the branch manager absolutely would have known. This is not something that the and I think that senior managers in the branch itself were arrested. Um, but no, I mean, I think that, and and I think this also comes down to the conversation that you know I wanted to I wanted to highlight about the culture in our banks right so i mean it's it's a it's a, it's a cliche that you know in india the culture there's not a lot of culture in terms of following the rule of law but when it comes to the financial sector the conversation on culture is not very abstract okay mm. it's a very i mean banking is a pure risk play mm. so when it comes to when we talk about banking culture we're talking about to what extent does risk management and an awareness of risk mm. imbues in everything that the bank does mm. from The top to the bottom, so I mean, I I don't want to speculate on whether or not the MD knew or whether or not he was complicit, but there was definitely a lack of risk culture in this bank, Hmm. in this bank branch. I mean, this was not a small branch in the middle of nowhere, right? This is this was the Brady House branch. This is a major branch. It's like next to the RBI building. So (laughs) this should not have happened. Hmm. You know, this should not have happened. It's a very easy thing. And just coming back to the point on the RBI, I mean. If the RBI wants, the RBI has legal formal powers to write laws, to to implement the laws, and to then enforce them through the through its coercive powers. In this case, uh, since August two thousand and sixteen, the RBI has had a very informal sort of communication with the banks we don't know what the notice hmm. what the confidential instructions that it gave to the banks were and we don't know i mean we don't know what the consequences of not following it were i hmm. mean if if a supervisor sends you a letter and the bank decides to just disregard it i mean what kind of a supervisor are you hmm. okay and even now the rbi has sent another confidential instruction to banks to um, to link their swift with their with their cbs by april 30th hmm. okay again this is not made public this is something that... Uh, so that there's too much able- secrecy. Like everything it's is- very opaque. I mean, so mm. I can give you an example of where the RBI has actually done a good job, right? So they, uh, they, they released norms on stressed assets a few mm. weeks ago. And this was it, the rulemaking process, again, was not transparent. But at least the rule was public it hmm. was clear and the enforcement and the what is the rule and the consequence the rule is basically the instructions are basically how do you deal with stressed assets how much provision you keep against them it's it's basically how do you account for stressed assets in your balance sheet hmm. okay and and how, when do you recognize them how do you recognize them etc so because this rule is a clear rule um you know on monday the rbi fined axis bank 30 crores for not following complying with the rule also oh, they so they have is a punitive so again so so they have so they have been given powers to write rules to implement and to enforce them and so the rbi i think has inconsistently sort of occupied the space that the banking regulation act of 1949 has car- has carved for it hmm. and this is a very opportune moment because rbi has time and again Fail as a banking regulator, they allowed the NPA crisis to become as big as it has. I mean this is not something that is was unavoidable. Um, again, this is a huge a huge scam with with huge losses. Again, it was avoidable. the RBI could have done something, and they didn't. they just sent requests. Hmm. so there needs to be and i, I mean I've seen so the finance minister mentioned this in passing, and I have not seen any conversation about this on any. Uh, on any newspaper or mm. news channel and i mean there've been a few columns by the same three or four people who've been pushing for reform at the rbi for many years um but you know at some point you have to stop and think that if so much so much has so much has gone wrong in the banking system uh the accountability has to lie with the regulator i mean the buck
0: stops with the regulator mm. yeah the what is the point of a uh, uh, regulator if you're not regulating exactly yeah. but the, then i guess this rbi it's just, it's something like a CBI, you know, in the sense no, it's just, no. no, in the sense that the government has too much interference and control over these regulators. It absolutely these does not. Actually, no? the RBI has don't been, No, no. not think Modi a, being a, it's connected. It's a quasi-judicial
2: body. Mm. It's, 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 uh, mm. exactly. it's, it so, has an autonomy.
0: Yeah.
3: So, uh, but here, government interference wouldn't. In fact, body. the RBI has fought tooth and nail against any kind of oversight. Forget interference. They mm. have. I mean, you know, th- there was a recommendation of a, of a commission on the Financial Sector Legislative Reform Commission, which really envisioned a very modern financial uh, regulatory architecture and, and, and regulators throughout the world. You know, I mean, the, the RBI is not an autonomous institution. Uh, it's autonomy is not limited, is not unlimited. Right. At the end of the day, it's a state agent. OK, its agency comes, its powers comes from the parliament so it is counterpart to the
2: parliament mm. but this uh, the present government they they charged that chidambaram had uh, you know started he had opened up the import for gold and nirav modi was benefited out of that so mm. basically they were trying to shift the They're of, just trying
3: to link uh, up uh, to so,
2: different yeah so how how reddy went uh, seems it just seems like something to for the it's government just a to, to say the, yeah, yeah i don't
3: yeah. know yeah
0: yeah, there's uh, been too much, yeah, it, then like you said, it becomes, is it a UPA scam or an NDA scam? NDA's nobody's scam. talking about hmm. the regulator yeah, and what... Yeah, nobody's yeah. talking about
3: why this scam came to be in the first place. I mean, hmm. it's not, I mean, the government is not, it's not the government, it's not the politician's job to go and check whether or not the hmm. branch manager is doing his or her job, right? It's hmm. the it's the regulator's job to check and also it's the it's the auditor's job to check and that's a, that's a whole different con- conversation, uh, but... You know, in this case, because the RBI is, it's an agent of the state, it's the agent of the people, and mm-hmm. if it's not doing its job, I think it's time for people, to, for us to think about what should the RBI, I mean, should there be some reform in the RBI? Mm. I mean, we have a report, we have a draft Indian financial law, which does foresee um, slightly lesser powers for the RBI, uh, slightly more professional, a more professional central bank, and the RBI has always fought this. Hmm. And it has always fought any kind of oversight, which and and it has always said that, you know, it's because of autonomy and because, you know, I mean, if you're, going to, if you're going to say that, oh, because we are a part of the international community of central banks, you have to become a
0: world-class central bank first, mm. and you're not. So just as an example, if something like this was to happen in the US, would would the buck stop with the auditor? Would head roles in terms of the top management so, in banks or the regulator? So let me give you an example. Actually, at the moment, uh, something similar,
3: um, sort of similar is happening in Australia, hmm. um, where uh, so the Australian banking system is dominated by five big banks, and there's just a number of cooperative banks. Um, so the, the prudential regulator basically found that um, financial advice in some of the banks was not free of conflict of interest, that some of the financial advisors were basically um, were basically giving more importance to their bank's products rather than, you know, figuring out what the best product for their client is. So there was not enough of a wall between the sales and the advisory. And, and this happens in India all the time. Like there have mm. been reports about mis-selling uh, across the board in mm. India, so I mean, this does not even this does not even become uh, get the, the get the position <laughs> of a scam in India. So mm. Over there, it has been a, a huge deal, hmm. right? Because it's so important for the regulator over there, for the Reserve Bank of Australia, and for the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, which is the actual banking regulator over there. They have split the monetary authority and the banking regulatory authority. So there are two different entities. Um, it's so important for the public to have trust in the p- banking sector that they have done a huge sweep. Hmm. They've arrested people. Banks have, till now, paid over 50 million Australian dollars in fines, and these wow. fines were not um, were not imposed by the regulator. These were imposed imposed by the courts, right? So there is, there is a uh, you know what a lot of people have suggested in India is that the RBI's decisions and the RBI's rules should come under. Uh, the, scru- uh, the scrutiny and the review of the courts, which Darbia again has said no to this, right? Mm. But in this case, not only have they not only have they held the banks to account, but now they have started in 2018. They have now started a review of the regulatory structure itself and whether or not there should be another regulatory authority that Look regulates the, regulator. the regulators. Okay, <laughs> right. Hmm. So we have had this, we have already done this exercise in India. Okay. The report of this exercise was was submitted in 2013. Hmm. But the RBI obviously has fought. Hmm, they don't want. They don't want. So, I mean, I think that this is an opportunity for us to be talking about this a little bit more. Reforms in the RBI and
0: what, how does the regulator?
3: Even, I mean, reforms, I don't know, it seems unlikely, but at least the RBI in itself can have a more consistent approach to the way it approaches its rulemaking process. Make itself a little bit more transparent. I mean, nobody's saying... I mean, even though a lot of people are calling for the RBI to be subject to CAG audits, hmm. which they're obviously going to say no to. But at least when you are making a rule, put it up on your website. Let you know, Make it a consultation. Invite public comments. I
0: mean, there's a standard practice all over the world. We hmm. don't do it. Do you think... Are you hopeful, though? Like, you think the Nirav Modi scam has kind of shaken up things and there'll be... Something no. will change in the... <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, nobody is talking about it, right? Nobody, no mm. you know, senior journalist has come in. I mean, I'm just... These are the three, four people from NIPFP and Indira Gandhi Institute of Development Research who have been talking about this constantly since 2008. Mm. They've been talking about this. They are the only people saying this. And they've been saying Yeah, that's this. true. Actually, yeah. When I looked
0: at the uh, most of the coverage on uh, PNB Nirav Modi is A, uh, Nirav Modi, the devil... the jewel thief the whatever everything Hmm. and then B whether it's UPA or NDA or who should be blamed and then uh, should all and then you know should all should uh, should banks be privatized should PSU banks be privatized that's I mean that's a good conversation to have
3: but it's not relevant to Hmm. this situation at all
2: Hmm. the other uh, related thing is the recovery so Hmm. will the uh, agencies be able to recover
3: yeah, so I'm seeing that the ban- that the government has seized a number of his assets, mm. and they've seized some seven, eight thousand crores worth no, of but his now assets. they are yeah. saying that
2: the forty percent of the diamonds they are uh, they are
0: fake. Yeah, they are fake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So also this is another see, scam. Yeah. is so tricky; it doesn't even have a resale value, and it's a very tricky stone to yeah. possess uh, in terms of. I mean, unlike gold, which is you know, there's a price. I don't it think anybody will yeah. care if this has if this has been.
3: Uh, if, if if they've gotten the money back. I don't think anybody will care about that. I think mm-hmm. this is sort of, this is going to be one of those news stories like with Vijay Malia. I mean, he, uh, nobody, nobody asks what happened. Nobody asks what reform happened around, you know, the recovery and around the, uh, around the treatment of NPAs. Because it's easy, it's easy to, you know, make the story about this one person and make him sort of emblematic of everything that's wrong. And Nirav Modi, of course, he's wrong. He did the wrong thing. But the fact is that the bank was not careful enough. The bank should be careful. I mean, you are, and on top of this, you're a public sector bank, right? So you, you are, you're backed by the people of India. So you have to be even more careful as to, you know, what you are doing and how you are conducting yourself in terms of your, your risk aversion, in terms of, you know, the way your employees are, are giving out loans and the way your branches are managed. I mean, so yes, Nirav Modi is wrong, but... PNB is not a victim. Okay? If, you, if you leave such a huge loophole, if yes. you leave your door open and somebody, somebody comes in and steals, I mean of yeah. course the robber is wrong but why did you leave your door open?
0: True. Great. Um, great. That was, uh, that was a much needed news channels. We have uh, discussions on the important issues around PNB on Hafta. Uh, thanks to Garima uh we have with us now another we have uh, we have a lot of nice informed uh, voices today on Arapta with Garima and sudhir and now we have samrat who's joining us from shillong um Hello. To, uh, to talk to us about the lotus bloom in northeast or the saffron wave as we, <laughs> as we in delhi feel watching all the television oh. news but um just to briefly tell our uh, listeners uh elections in Meghalaya, Nagaland and Tripura dominated this week. Uh, Tripura especially because uh, BJP made um, a massive, opened its account in a big way in Tripura. Uh, It won a comfortable majority with around 35 seats out of 59. This was like a direct left. Will I be correct if I say this was a left versus right fight in Tripura? I'm sure you would not agree. You're averse to making these left-right distinctions when it comes to Northeast. Yeah. (laughs)
4: <laughs> uh, well in this case it was pretty much a direct contest so mm. in in uh, you know in most uh, or in many constituencies it was indeed a direct contest so I don't think that this uh, can be denied
0: okay at least in Tripura so anyway uh, Samrat yeah. um, tell us you've been stationed in Shillong uh, mm. through the elections uh, so uh, we sitting in delhi if you're watching tv then it seems like a big massive saffron wave hit the three states Uh, but tell us from the ground what what are your impressions of the results what do they mean for the states what do they mean for the national scene you've written a piece for us also for news laundry which i recommend everyone watches but yeah uh, tell us in detail
4: so uh, well you know i think the whole thing about the uh sort of you know the map being colored saffron map of northeast being colored saffron is a little bit overdone mm. uh it's true that uh, the bjp has made inroads uh in the latest case tripura for them is definitely a famous victory it's a uh, you know it it, it was uh, they came out of nowhere from zero to ruling party which is for any political party a, a you know very significant result and a significant achievement that that said uh, i don't think the same sort of uh, you know of adulation should be extended to the results in the case of nagaland where and they did very well i have to say you know they they got 12 seats which is not not little in a in a state where uh, they were not expected to do so well And, uh, you know, in the Assembly of 6012 is not a small number. Mm. And uh, they've got the Deputy Chief Minister's position for a member of their party. Mm. So they have done very well in Nagaland as well. In Meghalaya, not so much. Mm. Uh, I think Meghalaya was mostly high. Uh, You know, all all the stuff about uh, Meghalaya becoming saffron is a bit overdone. They got two seats. Mm. And those two seats were BJP seats in the past as well. Okay. Uh, there, there have been BJP uh, candidates who have won those seats in the past as well. Mm. And moreover, these the two individuals, the two candidates who who won those two seats, have won them from other parties in the past. Achha. So, for example, one Aha. of the two AL heck won from the Congress last time and switched over to the BJP and won this time. He had been in the BJP before joining the Congress. He's gone back. Oh, the... so he's
0: like okay, one year so, Congress, one year BJP, one year. <laughs>
4: Uh, well, I mean, he he was uh, he won from the BJP twice, then from the Congress once, and now he's won again from the BJP. Okay. So, he wins no matter which party, party he goes is. to. Mm. The other guy, uh, his name is Sanbal, also similarly won from the NCP in the past and has won from the BJP now. Mm. And he would probably have won even as an independent. You know, the NCP has no, no part, sort of presence or party organization here to boast of, mm. but It was him as an individual who was popular in his constituency and continued to win. Hmm. So in the case of Meghalaya, I think uh, it's not really true that the party had much of a role to play in the success of these two individuals.
0: In fact, Conrad Sangma was the true, like, if there's any credit that must be given, it should be given to him. That was his first election, newly found party, and they won uh, some 16 seats, right? If I'm not mistaken. uh, no,
4: No, 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 no. They won 19. 19,
0: 19, yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, so so uh for the NPP it was actually their first real outing as a party. Mm-hmm. The party was founded barely a month before the last assembly elections by uh, uh PA Sangma, yeah. uh, Conrad's late father. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know Mr. Sangma passed away in 2016 and uh, after that uh Uh, Conrad took over and uh, this was the first time that he was uh, leading the party in an election Mm. uh, in Meghalaya and uh, he's done very well. The party came from two seats Mm. which it had in the previous assembly to 19 and he's ended up being chief minister. So I think again for a political party that is definitely a very uh, sort of satisfactory result.
2: Mm. Uh, Samrat uh, Raman here. Uh, yeah, uh, hi, hi. Uh, how do you see decimation of uh, left in Tripura? I mean, do you think it was in the offing, the twenty-five years of in anti-incumbency, or and and the second is and now the Tripura CM who was a very popular and I think he is still a very popular figure out there. So, what is his future now?
4: So, uh, it is true. He he was uh, by all accounts a, a very popular leader. And I think he probably remains a popular leader, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me talk about the parties first. Mm-hmm. You know, the CPM and the BJP. Mm-hmm. Now, the BJP ended up with a forty-three percent vote share. Yeah. The CPM ended up with a forty-two point seven percent vote share.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, there's so, not a
0: decimation, so to speak. Sorry. So, I mean, all this stuff that we are hearing about left decimated by the right is not really accurate. If you look at the vote share. No,
4: no, no. The, the, it is true that, uh, you know, they, they have obviously lost. You know, they, yeah, 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 of course. no sort of putting a, uh, sort of, you know, hiding that fact. They have lost and the BJP has won and people may or may not like the fact, but that's just the, you know, fact. But, uh, but uh, I don't know, I mean, why did they lose? Well, I mean, we can think about, uh, for example, Bengal before that, uh, where... The left also had a very long innings and eventually were voted out. I think a number of things probably play a role in these things. One is just sheer, uh, you know, sheer sort of, uh, I don't know, exhaustion perhaps of of just being under one person and one party's rule for uh, what seems like forever. Mm and uh, so i guess uh, yes plain anti-incumbency does have a role i think also the fact that you know the world has changed and people's aspirations have changed and uh, so whereas earlier i think uh, you know the basic sort of uh, you know roti kapla makan might have sufficed as as uh, promises i don't know if that really is uh, any longer, the aspiration uh, of of uh, you know uh, people uh, well, it's a difficult one. Of but it seems that uh, that people aspire to more. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and that is another factor. There were, of course, more more uh, you know more sort of more concrete and because this is this is guesswork. There were more concrete and more basic sort of facts, like for example, uh, you know issues of jobs. Uh, recruitment of teachers I believe was a problem there they, they, there was a court order which uh, uh, sort of got a lot of people thrown out of their jobs and that had been a problem. So uh, I guess it, it was in on the one hand it was uh, rising aspirations lack of employment etc. Et which I think has been spoken about by uh, various people also and on the other hand it was the superb organizational skills of the BJP which, again, you have to give it to them. They, uh, you know, they they really put in a tremendous effort and uh, they have a very committed cadre and they work very hard and they have the money and the muscle. So you put it all together and you've got a winning competition.
0: Yeah. In fact, um, I mean, some of the RSS guys also and the India Foundation guys were there stationed mm-hmm. in Tripura almost two years in advance, three years in advance, working on the ground, working on issues... Uh, mm-hmm. Communicating and doing a lot of ground, yeah, like the cadre, the Kader work that you are talking about,
4: Mr. Deodhar, who's got a lot of uh, you know praise. Sunil Deodhar, who's got a lot of praise after these results. Now, I believe he was in Meghalaya also for a certain period of time. I've heard, I haven't met him myself, but I've heard from friends here who did meet him that he not only he spent a long period of time here, he learned the local language here. Hmm. You know, he went to the villages, he engaged with people. He did the same, obviously in Tripura. I believe he speaks not only Bengali but also the Kokborok language. Yeah,
0: the the, so the, the, the tribal that, speak there. But Aja, I was reading somewhere also that in Tripura, the imposition of Bengali was also like a factor which miffed the tribal uh, belts. Was
4: that true? Yeah. The uh, see, there is a long and old politics between uh, the tribal identity of Tripura and the bengali uh, sort of population and uh, it has been an issue in Sipura for a long time now hmm. and uh, it's
0: and mostly the, the guys in
4: Sipura, but but it's there across the northeast actually
0: and the left uh, uh, sorry just to just to ask one question the left uh, in tripura is mostly dominated like by bengalis that's the do they have a representation yes. of tribal leaders it's mostly uh, bengalis
4: they have they have a they have their uh, you know their uh, tribal wing hmm. but uh, the leadership the chief ministers have for a very long time i think right from the beginning they've been bengalis okay hmm. and uh, yeah no so you so were saying this this yeah this is this is a fact of politics in in northeast india generally hmm. uh, it's been an issue tripura is the only state where where you do have a, a you know a bengali majority actually hmm uh but the presence of a sizable bengali minority in other states has also been an issue and uh, hmm. uh, i think it's something that uh, you know that has not completely been it's not been talked about very much it's not been understood and worked through even by the people who live here who are from here hmm.
0: another interesting thing was that meghalaya and nagaland both uh, with sizable christian population uh, and you saw BJP mm. making a mark there, and you had before that. I mean Meghalaya, though in Meghalaya, like you said, it's a it's a coalition, and they're only supporting the government. Uh, mm. But you know there were these whole thing talk about um, BJP's beef politics and how that cannot find any space in these states, and people being mm. wary of BJP because of the beef politics. What is your take on that? I mean, uh, was that an issue uh, in the elections? It,
4: it was. I think it was an issue. I would say it was an issue. I remember uh, visiting the Garo Hills several months before the elections and uh, at that time I happened to come across a uh, small protest uh, in uh, former Chief Minister Mukul Sangma's constituency which was basically about this uh, you know, alleged uh, imposition of a beef ban which of course had no impact in Meghalaya in any form. Uh, but but uh, it was a political issue. I remember also that uh, some former militants who had joined the BJP uh, in the Garo Hills, quit the party over this particular issue. Mm. Uh, the the sense that uh, you know the cultural identity of the BJP being very
0: cow-based
4: Hindu, uh, <laughs> cow-based, ah. pretty much yeah. Mm. Uh, so that. Uh, I think it did did have, uh, you know, uh, some impact definitely, at least in Meghalaya, Hmm. if not in the other states. Hmm. Uh, In Sipura, because there's a large Hindu Bengali population and even the tribal population, a lot of it is, uh, you know, is is sort of uh, animist or broadly Hindu. Hmm. Uh, So I think it's less of an issue there. But in Nagaland, uh, it would have been an issue. I think over there the most important factor is is uh, who is in power at the center and uh, you know, where the money comes from.
0: Okay, great. Um, I yeah. just
4: wanted to ask, hi, this is Garima. I just wanted to ask, how hi. did the
3: desecration of the Lenin statue in Tripura go down with the 42.7% of the population that voted communist?
4: <laughs> what, is your, what is your... Honestly, teaching? I don't know because I'm not on the ground there. I'm in Shillong. <laughs> uh and my personal you know take on these things is in any case i'm against this whole sort of idol worship i don't understand why uh, particularly you know the rational left should be so uh, enamored of idol worship yeah
0: we had this, uh, in fact, has written a piece for us also on this, which you guys mm-hmm. should read. But what's the, I mean, did it create any ripples there? I mean, I'm, of course, you're in Shillong, but just going by conversations on, say, social media or your friends, journalist friends, was there that desec- bulldozing of Lenin's statue? Did it raise any alarm bell among people? Was it any, like, even the poll violence, there's supposed to be some, there were reports of left uh, offices being attacked after the victory. Uh, has that had any sort of, is it exaggerated what we are hearing in Delhi, or see the whole,
4: uh, you know, the coverage of the Lenin statue? Whatever I've read, I've actually read or seen or whatever heard also has been from, uh, you know, Twitter or from national media. Actually, hmm. so I I don't know about uh, you know what the reaction to it is on the ground in Tripura since I'm not on the ground in Tripura. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Tripura, in fact, in a way, it became a Symbolic war, no? It resonated. I mean, their victory in Tripura, it resonated yeah, in the entire Yeah, definitely. Nation. And even
0: if you look at the party leadership afterwards, it was really about like, you know, the right is going to triumph left and we're going to weed it out mm. and we're going to weed this philosophy out.
4: It was, but, but that, you know, the fight between the, the direct fight between the left and the right, wherever it happens and whenever it has happened probably. In the past also is always, it's a clash of two uh, opposing ideologies and two two sort of uh, uh, Cadre-based organizations with strong ideologies mm. and strong opposing ideologies. You see that in Kerala also, which is where you probably see the last battle of the of the Indian left. Yeah. And, uh, and it's already been a bloody battle for a long time. Mm. They've been killing each other quite mm. literally. Mm. And uh, so, I mean, it's not really such a surprise because actually... Even for example in West Bengal, a state I'm more familiar with than Kerala as well. So, you know, the even in in West Bengal, the party organisation, the syndicates as they used to call them, used to control everything. You know, they used to uh, sort of control. I, I mean, how to put it? You know, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have uh, basically a party organisation that reached down to the grassroots, but not necessarily always in a good way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, it was very powerful. And uh, uh, people who are not on the right side of that party organisation, whether it's the you know when it was the communists and now probably the BJP, you know if you're on the wrong side of that party organisation, you're out of the power structure. But not only that, you know you anything happens, the law and order system also doesn't listen to you if you're not in the power structure. Actually,
0: in West Bengal, the clash between TMC and uh, left was quite. I remember that during the Bhumi Prathiroh Dandola and it was the CPM guys who went around uh, attacking uh,
4: it was, TMC it workers. It was, they used to say, you know, in uh, West Bengal is the only state in India where when they used to say when some some somebody's mother used to say, "Chale party chhe. the boy is gone to the party. Hmm. It would not mean the kind of parties that Delhi and Bombay are familiar <laughs> with. <laughs>
0: Great. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Samrat, for enlightening us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Catch Thank you me. later. Great. Um, so we'll just uh, talk a little bit about, since it's Women's Day, and I think it's a big victory for women, uh, the Supreme Court upholding Hathia's um, wedding with Shafien Jahan. Just... Uh, we'll briefly talk about that and then we can have our recommendations ready um so today uh, kerala um, the supreme the kerala high court had annulled hadia's uh, wedding with shafin jahan if you don't know about this case we've uh, put a link below this podcast so you can read on it but basically it's about this girl to give you like a short synopsis of it, it was a girl she converted to islam against her parents wishes uh, she married a muslim boy in kerala her parents went to court and said that this she this was done they said it was a case of love jihad and she was kind of coerced into this wedding and the kerala high court annulled this wedding uh, she then approached the supreme court and this, today the supreme court has upheld uh, her marriage and uh, basically uh, determined her right to choice and it comes it's really um, I think what better gift than this to celebrate on Women's Day? What What are your views on the um, whole case, Garima? Did you follow it?
3: Um, so I haven't seen the ruling. I, I followed the I followed the case uh, a little bit as it was unfolding um, up to the Kerala High Court's judgment. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, you know, based on just a very superficial understanding of the news of the developments of today, it seems like. Uh, The Supreme Court has, you know, as you mentioned, upheld uh, the woman's right to choose. It has also at least, uh, you know, at least put down the fiction of Love Jihad. And for me, more importantly, the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court has won, and again, I've not read the judgment, is that it has not infantilized this woman hmm. and not and not sort of, you know, put her, and put her sort of views as a views of, you know, her father or her husband. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's ascribed her views to her own choice and to her own thoughts. Hmm. And I think that's a positive development. Yeah, that's great. Rabban, uh,
2: during the proceedings, Supreme Court had made it very clear that once... A woman turns 18 and uh, the boy turns 21 Mm. and the two of them decided to stay together, decided to marry. So nobody can stop them. The third person cannot enter in. So this is something, they they went on this premise and then uh, after that, obviously they had to, I mean, they had made it very clear during the proceedings also,
0: Mm.
2: the Supreme Court, that it is going to go hadi away. Hmm. And it has gone ahead. Yeah,
0: really. that is the only sane way actually in hmm. this case, I think. It is. Great. Okay, so that's it for this week's hafta. And we'll be back next week with a full house hopefully. And with Madhu and Abhinandan in the house and Anand Anandvardhan also. Um, so I'm going to go with this suggestion um, since it's Women's Day. Uh, there's a piece in are.co.in. Uh, I am a wife 's son growing up in Mumbai's brothels so that's the piece I'd like to suggest for this week Garma,
3: yes, I don't have a woman centric se- piece uh, okay. but just going with the <laughs> that's conversation
0: fine. that huh. we,
3: we had before for those who are so inclined I would recommend reading the report of the financial a sector Legislative Reforms Commission. It's actually a really interesting read. And is it, it readable? Because most of the they write in a way that no, 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 no. they it's, don't want regular people to read it. It's not dense at all. <laughs> and it's a very readable and they have a lot of examples from from other parts of the world. Um, for those who are not so inclined, I have another suggestion, which is a, a book which has recently come out by uh, Nasim Taleb called Skin in the Game. Mm. And that is basically about uh, the asymmetries in um, in incentives in various professions like academics, policymaking, etc. And he has a lot to say about the journalistic profession. With spoiler alert, he thinks all journalists are liars. Um, (laughs) It's an interesting book. I don't agree with everything he's saying, but he's got a very good way. He's got an interesting... Way in which he perceives risk, and he, uh, in which he perceives, um, or which he perceives extreme risk in life in general. Nice. So it's not a financial book; it's a book about life. He does talk a little bit about finance, but it's mostly, you know, he draws on Greek history, he draw- draws on um, religion, on food, etc. So it's Sounds it's an interesting, interesting. What was the name again? It's called Skin in the Skin, it's in, skin the in the Game by cool. Nassim Taleb. Mm-hmm. And uh, my personal recommendation to Manisha is please watch Black Panther. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched it. But I heard it's like massively op- overhyped and it's not that great. You heard wrong. You heard wrong? Okay. <laughs> I'll watch it. What Raman is sir. Black Panther? It's a movie. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, it's the first oh, yeah. superhero yeah, yeah. I, film sorry, sorry, sorry. with an all-black crew. Yeah, it's it's a really good movie.
2: <laughs> so, I have just picked up two uh, autobiographies. One is Osain uh, Bolt. Mm. And the other, the recent one uh, by Saurabh Gahongali. So, I've just started reading them both of them are my heroes i love them so i'm just trying to find out their personal uh, you know
0: great thank you so much and see you next week and a special song dedicated to all our women subscribers on women's day